invite you to take a seat where you are. And in a moment, John's going to come and share with us. But Mary's going to come first and, and bring our reading this morning, which comes from Galatians chapter 6. And we're reading verses 1 to 10. And you can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. Thank you, Mary. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Thank you, Mary. John, let me pray for you as you come, come and share. Father God, we thank you for your word and for this gentle challenge that it gives us. And Father God, we give you permission now to come and speak into our lives. We have open hearts and ears to hear from you. And I pray for John for what he's prepared and as he shares now. Fill him with your spirit to love, teach and rebuke us where needed. King Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Zoe, for that prayer and for the opportunity to come and to bring God's word to you um, again. I've, I've enjoyed the service. I think I always do. Um, I do um, commend Mark for doing those actions. I'm a kind of wide, wide as the ocean guy. Any of you remember that? You know, when you were in Sunday school and they went, you went like that and you actually tried to kind of smack the person on either side of you. But it was all right because it was part of the actions. I don't expect anybody under about 50 to remember that. Okay, <laughs> But it was great. Right, we turn to this passage of scripture and uh, we are, as you will know, we're in a series when we're thinking about hospitality. And today we're fourth in the series in hospitality and, the, and this week we're considering hospitality inward or in as opposed to up towards God or out uh, in mission. And that inward that we're thinking about this morning refers to the fellowship of the church. Now I, I know you, it's, it's a shame people don't have Bibles in front of them. I know some of you have got little glass Bibles um, but... Um, my text is from verse 10, which is at the end of the passage. But let me read this and listen carefully because all my thoughts 
come out of this verse, but we will be looking at the other verses as well. Paul writes this. He says, do good to all people. That's general. Everybody we're to do good to. And then he says, especially or most of all to those who belong to the family of believers. Do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And we're going to be thinking about our relationship to others in the family of believers, the church. But even in this one verse, Paul gives us a, a bit of a hint as to the nature of the church. For there are three things there. He says, especially. In other words, there is something special. There is something different. There is something particular about our relationships between each other as Christians in the church. This is not the chess club. I'm sure you realized that, didn't you? Um, this is not the football club. You know, this is not the debating society. This is not some very valid and great, I'm sure, secular group that you might attend. There is something special and unique about relationships in the church. In short, that is because these relationships focus on Jesus Christ. In short, these relationships are unique because all that we say, in all that we do, in all that we work together, we are endeavoring to bring glory and honor to our Father in heaven, the living God. So Paul says these, the special relationships. And he uses the word belong. That suggests ownership, responsibility, mutual support. We belong to each other. And then he uses the word family. And you know, maybe your experience of family life at home isn't a good one. But as Paul puts that word family into this description, he's thinking about genuine warmth, intimacy, protection, commitment to one another. In other words, there's something special about this relationship. It cannot really be compared to anything out in the world. And God wants to work through it. And Paul says to fellow Christians, do good. In other words, don't do harm. Don't say unkind things. Don't have unkind thoughts. Don't perpetrate unkind actions. But the umbrella is do good to other people in the church. And that was verse 10. In the preceding nine verses, Paul puts some legs, some practical application on this instruction. And if you like structure in a sermon, here it is. Verse 1, hospitality in gentleness. Verse 2, hospitality in grace. Verses 3 to 5 and 7 and 8, hospitality in godliness. And verse 6, hospitality in generosity. And you're right. 
He's got four points, not three. Okay. But we'll go through them fairly quickly. And I want to just say, I want to qualify how I'm using that word hospitality. And Zoe and I had some discussion at the start of this. And I kind of raised the concern, we're not just talking, of course, about feeding people in your home. You know, often we, it can just mean that. It means much more than that. It means kindness. It means welcome, welcome in spirit. It means generosity. It means an acceptance of another person as they are. Or I think all that can be summed up in gladly making room for another person. That's what we mean here when we're using that word generosity. First point, generos hospitality in gentleness. Hospitality in gentleness. And I refer to verse 1 where Paul's instruction is restore him or her gently. Paul begins this sixth chapter by referring to something very serious that has presumably gone on in the church at Galatia. For he refers to if someone is caught in a sin. This is someone who is in the church and is found to be committing an, and this is very important, an ongoing sin. Because let me ask you the question, and I'll ask it myself, are we sinners? Yes. Okay. So it's not talking about that. It's not talking, you know, if, if someone has committed, we, the Bible says, for all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, the nature of a lot of what Paul writes is he, he writes about that struggle between the old South and the new South and, and all that. Sin, sadly, is a part of our makeup, even as Christians. But what's being talked about here is ongoing sin, persistent sin. I think best described in Psalm 66, where the, where the psalmist talks about cherishing sin in my heart very seriously he says if I cherish sin in my heart the Lord will not hear me cherish sin keeping on perpetuating the same sin keeping on doing it again and again kind of justifying myself in the sin that's what's being talked about here and I'll give you, hang on, don't fall asleep, because I'll give you a bit more detail of the sort of thing that it might be a bit later on. But he says, for the person caught in the sin, and we, we, we understand that there's no doubt about the fact that this person has done something wrong. You know, it's a, did he, she do it? Did they not do it? They definitely did it. There's no protesting of their innocence. Good They've put their hand up, I'm guilty, they've said. And the word that's used for sin here means falling aside or stepping off the path. Now, if you go just at the very end of uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25, Paul talks about, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And what has happened to this person is the opposite to that. They've not kept in step with the Spirit. They've not remained obedient to God. They've not stayed on the path. 
They have stepped off the path. And that's the way that the word sin is used here. And then Paul says he has, he has identified someone in the church who has committed an ongoing sin. And then he says, you who are spiritual. Now, it's no, there's no sense of superiority here. There's no sense of lording it over other people. But he is referring to people who, in contrast to the person who has committed the sin, he is referring to people who continue to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, with people who are clearly living out the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Now, I want to say to you, this should be a description of those that we have called to be in leadership in the church. We should have called people because we identify that man, that woman, is walking in step with the Spirit. They are exhibiting the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit in their life. That's who's being referred to here. And that's who, in particular, should restore this person. For that's the next thing what it, that he says. What are these spiritual people to do? Are they to throw the person out of the church? No. Are they to humiliate them and make them feel bad? Ah, uh, no. Are they to punish them? You're supposed to be coming back. No. No, they're not. He says here, you are to restore him or her. And how are you to do it? You are to do it gently. Not a bully, not shouting, not demands, not criticism. Restore the person and do it gently. Act with grace towards him or her. And that word restore was used, in, actually used in the Gospels when the disciples were mending their nets. That word restore is translated there. It's about mending, used in, in Greek elsewhere for mending a broken bone. The word here, restore, is about something that will take skill and time and lots of patience. And the purpose is to bring him or her back in every sense to the place where they were before they fell into that particular sin. And all this is done in kindness, graciousness, and gentleness. The word to the church, to the spiritual in the church, is restore this person. And then in verse 2, so we've had hospitality in gentleness. Gentleness to the person caught in a sin. And then in verse 2, hospitality in grace. For Paul says, carry each other's burdens. In the context of all that he has already said, he gives that instruction. Carry each other's burdens. A more literal translation of the Greek would be, bear the load of one another. So the situation is this. Someone has 
confessed an ongoing sin. Now the truth is, that person, having confessed that sin, having put themselves into that place in the life of the church, has work to do, responsibility to fulfill, a load to carry. Literally, probably, don't know exactly what the sin was, do we? But there needs to be work in healing relationships. I've been in situations where people have stolen money from the church. That person needs to pay the money back. And they'll probably do that over weeks, months, maybe even years. That person needs to work at challenging behavior that has probably got themselves into the situation that they're in. There's lots of work for the sinful person to do. And it's the responsibility of other people in the church to help that person carry those particular burdens. It's an ongoing commitment for the church. The person caught in the sins not just pushed out of the door, but they are to be worked with. We are to share their burden. But it says, carry each other's burdens. For the truth is this, that the person who has committed the sin has put an unwelcome load or burden or weight on the shoulders of the church. I thought it may be wise or it may be unwise. You'd be the judge of that. But I would just list to you uh, this situation as I have confronted it in being uh, a leader of a church. So I think there are about five instances here that I have confronted. A leader in the church having a sexual relationship with a single mother, a new Christian. A key couple in the church, his marriage breaks up with much acrimony and side-taking. A man in the church is accused of a crime of a sexual nature, tried, found guilty, and giving a, given a suspended sentence. A person who regularly took up the church offering helped himself to some of the cash. And it's a horror story, isn't it? Finally, two married couples in the church swap a partner. Now, those people who have perpetrated those sins, and we could have a discussion, is, are, are they all sin? But we'll just call it that for the moment. They have also put a burden, a weight, on the shoulders of the church fellowship. And they should work with the church fellowship to help them bear that load. And I want to say, in my experience, people, when they've committed a sin, usually want to get right back into the center of church life as quickly as possible. I think they want to do it because they, and it's totally understandable, they're desperate for people's affirmation and acceptance. But I think that part of them helping the church bear the load that in a sense they have created 
is a willingness to take a step back, is a willingness to attend church, but just be in the back row for some period of time. The church fellowship's goal, God has given it to them, is to restore that person. But it's going to take time. It's going to take the expression of love and forgiveness and grace. Our passage says that when we carry each other's burdens, so the spiritual, we carry the burden of the person who's committed the sin. The person who has committed the sin, please help the church. You help them carry their burden in the light of what you have done. But our passage says that when we carry each other's burdens, we fulfill the law or the teaching of Christ. When we carry each other's burdens, that is practical working out of Christ-likeness. Thirdly, hospitality in godliness. In the verses that follow, Paul addresses the spiritual people, not the person caught in a sin, but he addresses them with four warnings or things to to avoid. And these issues are made more poignant by the situation in the church. Someone has committed a serious sin. These things are made more relevant because of that situation. Could I just ask someone, perhaps sitting in the back row, could you just bring me a drink of water? Thanks very much. Thank you. I'm drying up. All right, but don't think I'm going to stop. There's no danger of that. All right. So we're thinking about hospitality in godliness. Four things here that Paul wants to uh, warn us against. And the setting, of course, is that person committed a sin. Just pause, think about what's been said already. I'll have a little drink of water. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thanks. When I get to the end of these four things, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say, the more godly we are, the more we've not fallen into these sins, the more room we make for other people in the church. The more these sins are a part of our lives, the less room we make for other people. So bear that in mind as I go through them. Number one, avoid temptation. It says in verse one, watch yourself or you also may be tempted. What does he mean? He means don't fall into the same sin that that person did. Don't see that person's actions as a license for you to do the same. Oh, I I thought he was really spiritual and he's done it. Oh, I might do it as well. No, don't fall into that into that trap and don't make yourself proud or superior because you haven't committed that particular sin so first thing is avoid temptation second one avoid self-deception the text says this if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself 
This is a warning against delusions of grandeur, self-elevation or promotion. Now, are we looking for someone who goes around the church saying, I'm fantastic, I, I, I'm terribly spiritual. Do you know I read my Bible for four hours a day, I pray for six hours. No, they're not going to do that. This is an inner sin. This is going around just thinking you're actually a lot better, a bit more superior, a bit more better taught than other people. And it's a warning against delusions of grandeur, self-elevation or self-promotion. And what Paul is saying here is such a person, in effect, devalues themselves, makes themselves less useful to God because their deception spiritually puts them in a place where God cannot use them or cannot use them very much. Scripture says, and I bear this in mind a lot, knowledge puffs up. What does it say next? Love builds up. So, one, avoid temptation. Two, avoid self-deception. Thirdly, avoid an unhelpful comparison. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. Don't compare yourself to other people, especially to someone who has messed up, because you will probably score pretty high, but it's totally unrealistic and useless. If you're going to do any comparing, compare yourself with Christ and his word. And if in this comparison you find peace, you find comfort, you say, yeah, God has changed me. I'm more, a little bit more like Christ today than I was last week or my, last month. Be proud of what Christ has done in your life. And the fourth thing to avoid is avoid self-seeking. A little bit further on in the passage, but in verses 7 and 8, um, the message is you may be able to deceive other people, but you can't deceive God. It says in verse 7, God cannot be mocked. Paul applies the harvest principle. A man reaps what he sows. Two ways we can do the reaping. Reap or work in the church to feed, to satisfy your sinful nature. And the results from that nature, you will reap destruction. Or the other alternative is reap or work in the church to please God's Holy Spirit. And the outcome will be from the Spirit, you will reap an eternal harvest. The question is, we don't look to other people about this, we look inside of ourselves. And I, I tr do try to look inside myself every time I come to this pulpit, I tell you. Why am I doing what I am doing? Who in this doing am I aiming to please? Is it all the things that make up my fleshly nature? Or is it God? Is it Jesus? Is it the Holy Spirit? Am I wanting God's name to be lifted up in this place and in this moment? I'll say again what I said at the beginning of this point. The message here 
is the more selfish and sinful I am, the less room I make for other people. The more opinionated I am, the more proud, the more inwardly boastful, the less room I make for other people. The more godly I am, the more willing I am to say no to these attitudes, the more room I make for other people. There's a big message there, isn't there? Church life isn't always easy, is it? But if I am struggling, the first thing is looking here, right? It's the easiest thing. If they were different, I'd get on better. If he or she treated me differently, if they did that, it might, you know, you may have to get there eventually, but probably you'll resolve it by looking in here and seeing if this is a heart that is softened by the love of God or if there's attitudes and things going on in there that you know are ungodly. Fourth point, verse six, the hospitality in generosity. Paul says this, and it's an interesting kind of verse, seems to not particularly come from anywhere, but he says this, and we've got to take it seriously. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Now, there may be in a specific context in the church at Galatia, which caused Paul to give this instruction. He is saying, don't be fixated or preoccupied with the person who has fallen into the sin. Remember and reward the faithful. He is saying, if you have a faithful and sound instructor who gives you information for how you're to live your life that comes from God, then that person who has given the instruction, with them, share all good things. What does he mean by all good things? Let me suggest firstly, kindness and affection. Secondly, Act upon what God has taught you through that person. And then thirdly, and very practically, and I'm talking about the church staff here, ensure that their material needs are met. And I want just to kind of broaden this point, because I think this, this point is saying, be grateful, be appreciative, be generous to, to those who serve you and God in the church. When there's an issue, you know, a person caught in the sin, all the focus is on that. You know, and there will be things that we're focused on in the church. But Paul's saying, never forget the faithful servant. Never forget the person who day by day, week by week, month by month, serves you and God in the context of the church. Show your love, show your appreciation. Make sure that their practical needs are met. And Paul draws his thoughts together. He says in verse 9, let us not become weary. The Greek says to lose heart in doing good towards each other. For at the top, proper time, he will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
there's an acknowledgement in that verse. Getting along with other Christians can be exhausting. Amen? I could just say, that is not people in my life group. You're all lovely, all right? It's just other Christians, all right? But getting along with Christians can make it be exhausting. It can make us weary. Relationships are demanding. And that's right. What worth are relationships if they're not costly? And Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't give up on God or on those people. And then there's a promise. At the proper time, we will reap a harvest. Do you believe that? Blessing will come. That may be for individuals or it may be in the sense of revival. That blessing will come from the hand of God to bless the whole church or the whole community. But Paul here says, keep on keeping on because a day will come when the harvest, the spiritual harvest will be realized in your midst. And then the command, don't give up. That's to the person here, I say it with a slight smile on my face, who was thinking, I think this is going to be my last Sunday at Hope. I'm thinking of going somewhere else. God says, don't give up. That person has hurt me. Don't give up. People seem to ignore me. Don't give up. Whatever the devil would say to you is the reason for you to give up. God's Holy Spirit speaks right into your heart today. And he says, this is the place where you need to be. Do not give up. Personal holiness, walking with the Spirit, being obedient to Christ, feeds hospitality, openness of heart, making room for people in the life of the church. Look into yourself first in this subject. Look at what God wants to do in your life. And you know, not necessarily the ongoing sin, the person caught in the sin, but maybe some of us have got to make some confession about what our attitudes have been to the church, to the leadership, to other people in the church. We need to confess that to God. We need to ask him to deal with it. We need to pray for a more open and generous heart where there will be room for people. Would the band return, please? Because we're going to come to a, a point in a moment where I'm going to invite you, uh, if you would like to, uh, to receive some prayer. And it may be uh, that God has spoken to you, the Holy Spirit has prompted you today on this subject uh, that I've been thinking about. You know, maybe you've become a bit weary, a bit disillusioned uh, in the church. Maybe you've made it a kind of a thing, what's it doing for me rather than what's it doing for other people and how can I be a part of that generosity that everybody is welcome. Maybe you need to be some confession on your part. Maybe you just need to pray about this with somebody and our prayer team will be available. And I want to say, I think I said last week, there may be something that you need prayer for and it's unrelated, or it seems unrelated to what's been said here this morning. I've got a job interview this morning. You're struggling with a relationship outside of the church. You've got financial needs, whatever it might be. You'd value someone praying with you. Here's an opportunity to seek some prayer this morning. So I just want to say to you, if God has addressed you, if God has spoken to you, if God has touched your heart 
in some way, it's so often to seal that by getting someone to pray with you. And you're very, very welcome uh, to see the prayer from our prayer team. I'm going to ask you to stand, and uh, Gab is going to lead us uh, in a song.